Cincinnati. Welcome to episode 241 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. My name is Paul Hirons, and wouldn't you just know it, there are now two standing, only two teams left, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers uh, have prevailed and uh, will now be contesting the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. So um, that has no relevance to any Bengals fans whatsoever. Uh, it was hard enough watching the AFC Championship game uh, last night without us in it. Uh, it was difficult, but it was, you know, it was, it was a good game, I thought. A close game, a weird game. But uh, anyway, the Chiefs, for a third time in a row, got to the AFC Championship game and two times in a row got to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, you have to take your hat off. I know it hurts, listeners. It hurts to give the Chiefs any sort of praise whatsoever. But you have to take your hat off. What a a really momentous achievement. Um, And watching it, no doubt, at the same time as me, was Nathan Palmer. Nathan, were you watching the championship games last night? Oh, I absolutely was. was, Do you know what I got into? I got into a bit of chess recently. So I was playing a bit of chess (laughs) on the phone. Of course you have. Of course you have. Chess. Now, where did that come from? I don't know. Like, just... when I was die on nose, started playing it, played a few games against him, and then I was just sat there like it's very difficult though because they're little quick matches, like ten minute matches, and you're trying to concentrate on where the other player's gone, what you're doing, and then you sort of, you know, there'd be a big play by the Chiefs or the Ravens, and it's quite difficult to do two at once. But I, I certainly was watching my son, soaking it all in. I obviously you always feel a bit, you know, like seeing you know like your ex knocking about with someone else a bit and you don't like seeing you know two other teams in a position you want to be in but you know I, I was loosely rooting for the Chiefs um, I had a little flutter on them at the start of the playoffs when no one really fancied them I just don't think you can rule them out at any point I think teams like that always have got a different face in the playoffs and I did feel that they could do something but like you said Good game, wasn't it? What, what do you think? Yeah, it was like a, the 49ers. I didn't stay up for the 49ers Lions game, which looked as though it was a better game, a more exciting game, should we put it that way? And um, it seemed to me that the 49ers was more like a, a lightweight uh, sort of boxing match, whereas the the AFC Championship game was more of a heavyweight. You know, two big physical teams going at each other, you know, smacking each other about and uh, trading punches and. And the Ravens just lost the big moments, really. They drove down the field twice, didn't they? And they, Zay Flowers, who had a real roller coaster of, of an evening, uh, got the ball punched out He was as he was diving for the goal line. Uh, and then Lamar um, pouring fuel onto his fire um, through an interception in, in the red zone as well. So the, the Ravens could have won that game, I think. Should have won it. But uh, a lot of people pouring over the... Um, um, their their game plan. I mean, I mean, they looked as though they completely abandoned the run yesterday. Uh, some guy put on uh, the Ravens' total runabout carries per game week one to the AFC Championship game, and it <laughs> it's good reading. So 24, 21, 22, 21, 19, 24, 18, 23, 27, 16, 21, 22, 15, 30. 19, 25, 17, 31 in the divisional in the in in the, the last game they played, and uh, six in the AFC <laughs> Championship game. So they completely altered uh, what they were doing. But uh, yeah, hats off to the Chiefs. I thought they you know they played really hard and they did what they had to. Uh, Kelsey, whatever you think of him, absolutely immense. Mahomes again, absolutely immense when it, when it when everything was on the line. And I think that's obviously the sign of of you know really really seriously elite players again you know i don't particularly like mahomes as a as a bloke 
I like him as a player. Same with Kelsey. But you know what I mean? They they do it when it matters, and that's that's the sign of greatness, I think. These great players, I've said this before, and I think it applies to the Bengals actually, is they're better in the big moments. And that's partly I think because that's just who they are. They get up for that. You know, they're they're high quality players, you know, they get a bit more motivated by those bigger games. They know they've got extra level in them that they can go to. But I think a lot of this comes down to coaching as well, with teams tending to hold back their best plays, the best schemes, you know, the best things they've got up their sleeve until the big moments as well. You know, you're not necessarily, if you're Andy Reid, giving it all away and showing everything you've got, you know, week three of the season away at the Panthers. And that's where sometimes you do see some games where, you know, teams aren't at their best and you get some silly losses. But Chiefs first half yesterday and defensively. I mean, I thought Steve Spagnolo did an incredible job to to sort of limit Lamar Jackson um, and make some big plays. They did a good job the the Kansas City defense, but I think ultimately what cost the Ravens. I'd be interested if your take on this is they came into that game before it even started, and I think you see all those things about Justin Tucker and near Mahomes. I think that was all the Ravens putting that on, trying to you know practice on the other side of the field just to you know, put a bit of spice on the Chiefs. They knew it was going to be a ferocious atmosphere um, at their stadiums. They had the game at home, and I think their whole thing, that defense, that you know Raquan Smith and all them lot, they were flying into those tackles. They were leaving a bit extra in there they they really wanted to play a bit of a nasty game i think the ravens that sort of was their identity they wanted to almost bully the chiefs into submission and i think in the end they just got a little bit carried away um through too big of a punch and threw themselves off the cliff because you know you talk about the penalties as the fumble in the end zone which cost them the false play um by lamar jackson there was a number of mistakes that really you know, only seven points in that game. The Chiefs didn't score any points in the second half. Mm. You know, fair for the taking for the Ravens at home. And I think they'll be sat there. You know, they've had that game at home. They scored 10 points, you know, and then the, held the Chiefs to nothing, that defense in the second half. You'd be you'd be very disappointed, if, I think, if you're a Ravens fan. Because that's a hell of a good chance at home to propel yourself to the big time. Yeah, but at the same time, it's quite funny as well, isn't it? Really, uh, the Ravens losing like that, and I, I don't. I mean, I was slightly edging for the Chiefs, I suppose. See, once upon a time, I used to really love the Chiefs because they were like my second, third team. You know, we're talking, we're talking about the era of Derek Thomas and Neil Smith and and Stephon Page and Christian Okoye and all those guys. I used to like the Chiefs, you know, um, but now not so much, obviously, because they're they're pretty pretty big rival of ours at least they were let's hope we can uh, we can keep that rivalry going but yeah it would have been absolutely intolerable if if someone from our division had got to the super bowl really wouldn't it um but yeah i mean you talk about big moments you go to the other championship game and goodness me the lions have got to be sick haven't they as well that game again was there for the take and they were way out in front 49ers came out in the second half had a right old go at them and clawed their way back and you know that crazy play when that I'm not sure who it was that defensive back could have intercepted Brock Purdy and instead it bounced off his his, his face mask I think it was and into the arms of was it Ayuk or Jennings or someone like that who Jennings made an unbelievable catch by the way um, in that second half it was only like for a short gain but it was like I don't know you'll have to go back and watch it um, and then some again, some questionable fourth down calls. Um, it was it, that game had it all. That really was a sensational game. And I, uh, you talk about second team, Detroit are my second team, and I, you know, I was really willing them on. Um, and what a shame they couldn't quite get over the line. And I thought they were, I thought they out of everyone. They, I think they've got like actually the probably the best balanced team in terms of skill positions and you look at their offensive line you know Ragnar and and uh, Penay Sewell Laporte are doing well Amon Ra doing really really fantastically well Williams coming to the floor and they're, uh, coming to the four and they're one two punch at running back and then you've got Hutchins they've got a really nice balance to that team so um, let's hope they can uh, replicate what they did next year, but yeah, what a great game that that NFC Championship game was. Yeah, and I, if you were, I mean, I talked about the Ravens fans being a little bit um, despondent and gutted this morning, as I'm sure they are. But 
if you're a Detroit fan and you're up 24 7 and a half, you know, you're dreaming, aren't you? I mean, Bet365 and some of those gambling companies, they pay you out if a team goes 17 points ahead. It's like their promo because they think it's a very unlikely chance you're going to come back. And obviously, the 49ers are at home. They've got a great team. They're there for a reason. You know, those skilled position players, McCaffrey, Debo, Brandon Ayuk, um, Kitter, all the rest of them, you're always going to back yourself um, at home to come back and score 17 points and you wonder with the Lions as well didn't you you know a bit like with the Bengals to an extent that you know when it gets close to that you've literally got a Super Bowl there you know all the history of the Detroit Lions have not had too much success does that creep into the back of your mind in those close moments towards the end of the game does a bit of self-doubt come in no matter how much of a great coach Dan Campbell is and he's positive and he's upbeat and he's cutthroat and he's swinging about but does it just creep into the back you know, can we do this? You know, we're not fancy, we're on the road. And it's a shame for Detroit. You'd love to have seen him in the Super Bowl. And I'll tell you what, I actually think skill position-wise, you said it, son, about how well-balanced they are. I think they actually might have stood a better chance against the Chiefs than the 49ers. I think that run-in attack of Montgomery um, and Gibbs would have really caused the the Chiefs problems. And you go full circle, the Ravens only running the ball six times last night, I thought it was criminal. You know, I was watching the um, previous games that the Chiefs have played they really are not that good at stopping the run. Their run defence statistically is not fantastic. And I just think that was a big missed opportunity um, for the Ravens last night to not take advantage of that. And I'm sure Detroit with, like I said, Montgomery and Gibbs, real sort of power punch with Montgomery. And then you've got the speedster on the outside with, with Gibbs. I think they would have really given the, um, the Chiefs a bit of a headache. So I am gutted for them. But the one thing I'd say for Detroit is you look at the NFC, they'll have a chance next year. You know, they've got a lot of good players, good young players. That Sam Laporta's an incredible player. Aidan Hutchinson, they drafted um, very early on a couple of years ago. He's another fantastic player. So I'm sure that, you know, they'll have a, another chance at the dance. But, you know, uh, yeah, because I think there's, I think there's much, e- not that it's much easier in the NFC, but I just, you lack those game changer quarterbacks in the NFC, don't you? You look at the AFC, you've got Mahomes, you've got Josh Allen, you've got Justin Herbert, Lawrence, um, the Marjacks and Aaron Rodgers, you've got Tua, you've got Burrow. There's, you know, no list um, no shortage of great quarterbacks in the NFC. You know, you've got a few decent ones, but I think Detroit will be back there next year and they'll be sniffing around. And like you said, they're, they're a nice franchise. Dan Campbell's very likable. Good luck to them. But yeah, real shame. So what what do you take as a Bengals fan? Um, having watched us this year, what do you take from those AFC Championship games? And i tell you what I take. I think... On our day, and we've proven this because we've beaten the 49ers, we've run the, the Chiefs close with without our number one quarterback and and whatnot. Um, we're not that far away, I don't think. We're not that far away. Yes, there are holes on this team, but if we play to our best, um, I think we can give anyone a game. I think all the teams last yesterday were flawed teams. I think the Ravens coming into it were perhaps the best team. Um, uh, the 49ers started off like a house on fire this season, didn't they? And then I think they lost five in a row, including to us. Uh, Detroit, you know, pretty consistent throughout the year, a 12-win season. Uh, the Chiefs ha- have had their ups and downs this year. They haven't looked as uh, impenetrable as previous seasons. Um, I think all all the four teams uh, were flawed in some way. Um, and I, I do think uh, the Bengals, if they can get it right this off season, you know, will be right up there again next year. What do What do you think? What do What have you do as a Bengals fan? What did you take away from from uh, Because this is what we're going to do in this episode. Finally, we're going to have a look forward uh, to this off season because uh, we're going to be speaking to Charlie Goldsmith from the Inquirer uh, in a few moments' time about the off-season and what uh, the Bengals should be doing and could be doing. But things will, will start quite quickly. You know, it's the East Shrine Bowl coming up this week, I believe. Senior Bowl at the weekend. Um, and then, obviously, the Super Bowl. And then it's almost time for free agency. It's almost time for franchise tags. And we're right in play on the franchise tag front this year, as, as everyone well knows. We are also uh, due, I think Mixon is due some some bonuses at the start of March, if I'm not mistaken, or the end of February even maybe. I'm not, don't quote me on that, but it's pretty soon. So um, those big issues, as the Bengals like to do, they like to go at their own pace, not to be rushed. 
But these big issues, uh, these big spots on the roster, big skill positions, big legends, big names on the team, um, will know their fate, and we will know their fate pretty soon. So it's going to be it's going to be a full on off season, Nathan. Yeah, it is. I mean. Where do we start, my sound? Where, where do you want me to? Well, let's, let's talk we... about what, where you where you think um, what, what what your takeaways in relation to the Bengals and those teams last night. Are we are we a million miles away here? Nah, what it what it comes down to in many ways, and this is a boring and slightly obvious take, is injuries. And you look at those teams last night. The Kansas City Chiefs pretty healthy on you know across the board. They've got their skilled players there you've got Mahomes upright the whole season Pacheco's out there he's a very good player you've got Kelsey there the, the, most of their best players were available throughout the season the Ravens pretty much the same apart from um, Mark Andrews who still managed to come back for that game last night so you, you get your players healthy you got Joe Boy out there the whole year and you're, you're in play with them for sure, aren't you? You'd like to think you'd have a real chance. The one thing I think the Bengals, and I think it, it was epitomised a little bit last night by the Ravens, the one thing I think we've got to do is toughen up a bit for these divisional games. And I'm not saying we need to start getting Von, you know, rolling Vontez perfect out there and Pac-Man Jones or anything, you know, knocking people out and stuff. But yeah, because there's a difference between toughening up and getting a yeah. bit, getting a bit spicy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the Steelers and the Ravens, they always. I know we've had some good wins against them. I'm not saying it's every single time, but talent-wise, a lot of the time, and especially the last couple of years against the Steelers, we we've been far better on paper. And we go in there, you know, with our shoulders nice and broad, and think we're, you know, you're going to go in there and tank them up. And the Steelers somehow just seem to grind some of these games out. And I think sometimes we're a bit guilty of. Um, I don't know what the word is, but just potentially like not being tough enough in some of these divisional games. And you, you look at the head coaches, they're old school coaches. You, Mike Tomlin's been around for, you know, as, nearly as long as I've been a Bengals fan. John Arbar's been around a very similar amount of time as well. They always play good defence. They've always got some spicy characters on defence that, you, you know, you love to hate as a Bengals fan. And I, I do just think we've we dropped off a bit in the division you know we, were, we won one game in the division this year which really wasn't you can't take anything from that you know you're up against the second third fourth stringers from the Browns it was a real drab preseason feel of a game so outside of that you know and the Browns are the same they've got a really good defense they've got some stars on there we were good outside the division. You look at the rest of our games and our record, you know, against the Bills, against the 49ers, there's some fantastic wins in there throughout the season. But I think if we're going to be a real threat next year, we need to be able to toughen up a bit and, you know, play well against some of these gritty defences because those players on the Ravens, on the Steelers, on the Browns, they're going to be there next year. And that's our first battle. You know, you look at the strength of the AFC North. Every single team had a winning record, I think, the first time since 19, God knows whatever. But like 20, 30, 40 years ago, that's not happened for. I don't see any of those teams massively regressing. You know, bar a freak injury, Lamar's still going to be there. The Steelers, I mean, they seem that they can play anyone at quarterback and still get a winning, a winning record. So you'd like to think that they probably in that department might improve and we'll keep that defence together with people like TJ Watt in there. Same for the Browns, you know. So that's where it starts for me if we're going to be competitive next year. We've got to assert ourselves more in that division. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. And um, and I think, yeah, you, I mean, it's, it's a different, difficult one, isn't it? I mean, we do need to toughen up. We need to get a bit more physical in our division. But... It's hard to know what that means as well, isn't it? Because what does that tangibly mean? But it's not like they're not, you know, they're going out there and. Well, I think I think it's the trenches, isn't it? It's the trenches. Yeah, it's, that, that's it's, a very good point. It's it's at times in our division, especially we were getting blown off the ball both both uh, both sides of the ball, offense and offensive line and defense. Um, so I need I think we need to pay attention to to those sort of areas in particular. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because there is an argument that because we we're different, because we we're not quite your archety- archetypal AFC North slobber knocker team. That's why we've done so well in the past couple of years. So I think I think it is, and the Bengals have had a history of of being perhaps not quite the, the most physical team. We rely more on skill position players. 
than the trenches. Now that seems to be a, a franchise philosophy going back years and years. And that's not to say we haven't had fantastic defensive and offensive linemen, but it doesn't quite seem to be the, do you know what I mean? The point of emphasis of other teams, like other teams, you know. So um, I think some attention though does need to be uh, spent on those two areas. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff to sort out. I mean. We, we can list them right now. Obviously, the T. Higgins situation. Uh, do we need to look at the tight end position seriously? What are we going to do at right tackle? Because, as Jay Morrison said last week, he's he's convinced, and everyone you know on the beat and other journalists convinced that Jonah is not going to be there. And actually, do you know where he'll probably be? He'll probably go to um, Tennessee and go and join Brian Callan, who, by the way, was just fantastic in that press conference. Really emotional and, and kind of, yeah, I don't know, I got quite emotional watching that as well, really kind of cheering him on from the sidelines. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I thought it was fantastic. Beautiful moment, really heartfelt. Um, but you know, what I always find interesting with, with people that go outside the organisation, they're always extremely positive for Mike Brown. You always hear some people, you know, around the leagues, always been old school and this and that, but you can see how much that he meant um, to Brian Callahan, one of he, the greatest men he's ever met. Yeah, exactly. That. Wow. That's what I mean. It's so sincere, and he really went out of his way um, to make a point to to say that. So, no, I agree. It was a, it was a lovely interview, and I mean, if you didn't wish him all the best already, you certainly did after seeing that. Yes, indeed. All the best to Brian, of course. Uh, apart from when we play him next year, obviously. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if Jonah goes down to uh, to Tennessee to join his old offensive coordinator. Um, what else have we got going on? The running back position, a lot. Again, a lot of beat writers uh, kind of saying that this is Mixon's, this is this is the end of Mixon. Uh, and on the defensive side of the ball, what are you going to do at safety? Um, what are we going to do on the defensive line? So there's a lot to tackle here. Uh, and we'll bring Charlie in in a moment, but let's just talk. Let's let's speak about a few of them, shall we? I know that you're an advocate of the tight end position. You would want a much more dynamic tight end in there. Me personally, I'm not. I don't see it as a high value position. Frankly, I I quite like the way Tanner Hudson and Drew Sample uh, occupy that position. We really did get better as the season went on but I do see the point if we had an knife in there or you know someone of that ilk um yeah I I I thought I think that would be uh, that would be something so what do you think about the tight end position are we going to draft one are we going to I think we'll probably draft one this year actually yeah I mean, the problem is you're not going to use a first round pick on one I don't really think you're going to use a second round pick on one. And then once you start getting third round and beyond, you, you question how much, how seriously that person's going to make an impact. I think the Bengals kind of know that they made a bit of a mistake um, in the, the previous draft, not going after a tight end. Because you look at some of the quality of... Um, well, you say Laporta for a start. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you look around at some of the game-changing talents that have come out of that. Now, it's hard to say, you know, that really for the Bengals, because they have, you know, you look at the... We talked about it a lot last week about the quality of the draft picks, and you know everyone's made a bit of an impact there, and you can't really complain too much. But I, there'll be a they they had a they had a go this year on a reclamation project in Irv Smith, and a lot of people when he was brought in, he was very young at the time. He's about 24 when he came in, you, second round pick, decent amount of pedigree, struggled with some injuries, and you felt that if he'd had a healthy season, he could have made it made a real difference, and that just didn't pan out and I don't think there's any chance that you'll see him back in stripes next year but I think they might just need to be a little bit more top shelf with the free agent and I'm not talking you know George Kitt or Travis Kelsey type of talent but someone like a Mike Gesicki you know someone like that that's had a bit of potential had a couple of good years somewhere else looking for a sort of mid-range contract maybe in his late 20s something like that that can come in probably he's not going to be here for more than a year or two um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be a headline pickup on NFL.com, but someone who can add a real bit of value. Because I'm not knocking too much Tanner Hudson, Mitchell Wilcox, Sample, you know, the rest of There's not a quality pass catcher in there for me. I know Hudson did all right, but he's he's going to be 30 next year. I'm not sure there's much more of a ceiling to come from him as apart from a bit of a sort of rotational backup tight end at best. I think if we really want to push that... Um, 
we could benefit from it. And there, there's a lot of arguments. Oh, Joe Burry doesn't really use a tight end too much. That's not the way this offense is set up. But I can't help but think that, especially if T doesn't come back, you might just need another quality pass catcher out there. And you look at the Lions, you look at the 49ers, you look at the um, all of the teams in the AFC. Yeah, yeah. They've well, all got one thing in common. They've all got fantastic tight ends. That's a really good point. I didn't really put that together, yeah. but that was a really that's that, a really good point. It, even that Isaiah Likely, you know, when Mark Andrews went down, he's a very good player, and he was one of my just gonna you know toot my own all a bit. He was one of my sleeper picks in the draft. Oh years yeah, ago. look at you. Hey, I don't know, bloody uh, Nathan Kuiper Jr. over here. Um, yeah, no, I think it's fine. So, what are you doing with T then? Let's do the offense first. Uh, uh, T Higgins, are you tagging? I think that seems to be the way everyone's going. We're going to tag him. Unless they can sort out a... I don't know. Unless they can sort out a a, a, con, a longer-term contract for him. But I'm not quite sure. Again, it's that whole idea of ploughing all your money into the skill positions. And, you know, you look what what Kansas City had to do. They had to, yeah, exactly. you know, trade away Tyreek Hill because they, they couldn't afford to build a championship-calibre roster... With with your money all in one receiver, and we're talking about trying to pay two. I don't know; it just doesn't sit right with me, you know. Um, but I think we'll tag him this year. I think the the I think there is the opportunity to, or at least the 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 idea knocking about that we want to go for it one more time. We want to get the band together one more time and really make a big push next year. And you know. Um, who knows? I think that's the way it's going to go. I think he'll be tagged. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think you're probably right. I don't know what I'd do with it, really. I, I'd almost be eking very carefully at what else you could do with that money. And it's exactly to your point about someone like the Chiefs. I mean, you'd be hard-pushed to say who their number one receiver was. if you From a fantasy mm. football perspective no one had a clue people at the start of the year thought it might could have been tony you could argue is it valdez scantling and the reality is it was probably rasheed rice who was a second round yeah, rookie. yeah you know so obviously you've got travis kelsey on that team you know he's a game changer and they're all he's always going to command a lot of the attention but mahomes made it work without any sort of recognized receiver and they actually played like that the wide receivers it wasn't like they all played out their skins there was a lot of drops a lot of missed opportunities that's why they lost a few games and no one really fancied them that much at the start of the playoffs so it can be done obviously the, the one thing with T Higgins as well you've got to think about his durability he has missed a few games and been in and out um, the franchise takes a ton of money as well I mean I know it's only a one-off thing and you're not locked down for years to come but it is a lot of money to, to throw at him and with Jonah Williams going, you've got to figure out what you're doing at right tackle. Um, yes, you can draft a tackle and hope for the best there. But again, like plugging a mid-round, a, a sort of mid-teens first-round pick in is risky with no proven experience. You know, if you have to do it, you have to. But, you know, it, then is, are you going to pay another free agent out there to come in? Are they going to be an upgrade on Jonah? Possibly not. Um, and the biggest position of need, I think we all agree, is probably that defensive line. Now, again, if you were to use that money that's going towards T. Higgins, you could probably bring in a pretty damn good um, D. lineman that's going to be out there or a pass rusher or whatever it might be to try and sort of bolster that unit. So mm. it's not just a case with T. Higgins, like I said last week, of, oh, of course we want him back. Because everyone naturally always has a bit more gravitation towards the offensive skill players because you see more of them you've got more of their jerseys they're more exciting they get more media focus naturally you kind of oh we've got to get T back of course we have you know he's young lad T he's only just turned 25 he's still got a lot of potential to him and I certainly wouldn't be disappointed if they signed him to a long-term deal but um the, the only thing that I think probably strengthens the argument to bring him back is Boyd's not coming back. I don't think there's any chance they bring Tyler Boyd back at all. Um, and I think if you to lose both of them, you're putting a hell of a lot of eggs in Jamar Chase's basket. Because again, you're not probably going to take a receiver in the first round. You could get lucky on a receiver in the second and third round or you know whatever, and they could come in and play well. But again, it's a gamble. And if anything was to happen to Jamar Chase, you'd be, you know, Joe Burrow would be out to sea a little bit. So I do think it's a bit of an insurance policy from that point of view. But yeah. you just hope it doesn't leave us too thin in other areas. 
Yeah, uh, I tend to agree with that. Right. Uh, w- w- time is pressing on, Nathan, and this is going to be a two-hour podcast if we're not careful. Um, Jonah Williams. Me, personally, I think he is gone. I think I would draft one a right tackle or a tackle quite high up first, second round in the draft. And then I would also uh, get on board a, a, you know, a solid free agent veteran this year. I think that would be my um, my way of coping with Jonah's loss, if that's the word. Um, I think you're bang on, to be honest with you. I yeah, mean, like unless... someone like an Illuminor from the Raiders or something like that. Um, Jackson Carmen out there. <laughs> I think he, I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> Mixon, yes or no, is he on this roster? I tend to think he might be just because the Bengals like him. He's got one year left. A lot of pundits think that we're going to be paying him too much. Um, I I don't know. I think the Bengals will keep him for his final year, the contract. I think they will. Whether they should or not is a different question they want some you know we want someone a bit more dynamic back there but he's just coming off a pretty solid season a thousand yards um i think the Bengals might want to keep him i i think you're right but i don't think they should i, I just don't we talk about uses of money and how that's going to look I, I just think you get just as much value in terms of talent out of a running back in the third or fourth round that had a bit of pedigree about them. Maybe the second round, again, possibly a bit of a reach going. He's not one, certainly not one of our most pressing leads, um, needs. But uh, you, you've got a good player in Chase Brown, potentially a really good player, real speedster. I thought we offered a lot when they gave him the chance. We know what we've got Mixon, and he's a good player, Joe Mixon. And, you you know, I think you're right. I think he did have a fairly good year last year. I think his stats were, stats were a little bit padded in that last game against the Browns where he had some incentives on the line and they, they fed him the ball when he got over 100 yards, eight yards a carry and all the rest of it. You know, without that, realistic, and he did play pretty much every game. So, again, you, you know, not all running backs tend to do that. He's a reliable guy. He doesn't fumble the ball very much. He's got better in pass protection. He's solid. He'll run hard. He's a good team player. There's a lot to like about him, but I just don't know. In some ways, he had a lot of carries. I mean, he's, he's like, I'm looking at it. He's had 1,571 carries in his career. He's been an incredible servant to the club. You know, I don't think anyone could knock that. He's going to be 28 at the start of the season, which in running back years is a bit long in the tooth. I just... At some point, we've got to move on. And you're talking about where's the money coming from. Again, it's another, it's quite a lot of money to paying a running back when but I think time and time again, it's been proven that you can get a guy like a Chase Brown, who I think is a fourth round pick, plug him in, looks quite exciting. I think if you get a bit of a bruiser in the draft, a bit of a heavier back, potentially a decent pass blocker to pair with Chase Brown. I'd let him have it next year and see how they go. Potentially bring in a bit of a, like a some RJP Ryan type character if you want to get a bit of competition in there. Someone low, you know, pretty low value, bit of a vet minimum type thing to just compete in camp with these guys to make sure you're not, you know, throwing some duds in there from the draft. But I, I don't think it's the best use of our money, to be honest with you, son. Interesting, interesting. We haven't even attacked the defensive side of the ball yet. But let, let's uh, let's bring in Charlie, shall we? And now, uh, as promised, joining us from Cincinnati, I've wanted this uh, man on uh, Cincinnati for a while now, and I finally managed to bag him. If only because the last time I heard him on a podcast, he used uh, he used the analogy of the ship of Theseus, and um, I thought that was the most wonderful thing ever and i'll let him explain what that is but first uh charlie goldsmith how you doing how you doing i'm good thank you welcome to cincinnati it's your debut you must be very proud excited all of those things you know i, I do feel bad i i don't know that i have another greek mythology analogy in me today I, i'm not sure i, I have anything but we'll see what comes up we'll see what happens well i i'm there's no pressure Charlie, there's no pressure, but but just give us a context into what what why you use that uh, ancient Greek analogy, the ship of Theseus, what it is, and what you were referring to. So the ship of Theseus is a thought experiment from way back in the day, where if you take a really old ship and you replace uh, parts one by one over a long period of time, at what point does it just become a different ship? 
And look at the Bengals, you know, next year, Jamar and Joe could be the only starters from the offense on the Super Bowl. And most of the defense is turning over as well. You're losing Brian Callahan. You have decisions to make on guys like T Higgins and DJ reader that will define this off season. General Williams hits free agency as well. How many pieces can the Bengals lose before they really feel like something different? And how do you keep, you know, the same uh, style and approach and mentality of a team that's been so successful? But is that the very nature of sports? It's a cyclical business. Players come and go. Coaches come and go. And it's a constant process of rebuilding and bringing new parts into uh, the mix and then seeing what those people, those unique gifts that each of those people bring to the party. So it, that, that that's that's something that that has to happen, right? To kind of renew the energy, the the skill level and the and 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 the ideas really. Because someone asked us actually on the podcast, one of our um one of our listeners um kind of said at what point does you know continuity is fantastic, right? That's what every um club aspires to i guess um and the bengals have been lucky or whatever you want to call it um fortunate that they managed to keep a a really good coaching staff together for five years but at what stage does continuity tip over into um uh jadedness into staleness do you know what i mean well, it depends on what you're good at, right? Like, what can you bank on to be the path of building your team going forward? Of course, the great analogy here is the Chiefs and what they've done. They won with their defense yesterday, and, you know, they they had their decision. It was a fascinating, pivotal moment in NFL history. Keep Tyreek Hill and keep investing all of those resources into the skill positions, into offense, into scoring 35 points a game, or trade Tyreek for draft picks and use those draft picks to remake the backbone of your secondary and that new secondary has kind of been this new wave, this new style, this new to way, this new way to win for the Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs have a better defense than the one that Joe Burrow torched for 35 points a couple of years ago. It would be a very different style of game if the 2021 Bengals faced these Chiefs that are heading to the Super Bowl. Again, those teams would have an interesting matchup, but again, you would have to win with a very different style against the Chiefs because they're a different team. You know, the Bengals are a team that now faces not an identical decision, but a similar decision. Do you want to be the same style or do you want to evolve and adapt into something new? It depends, again, on how much confidence you have in the Bengals' young pieces in the defensive backfield. It depends on how negotiations with T. Higgins go. It depends on, you know, which free agent might be willing to take a little less like Orlando Brown Jr. did to come play for you. There are all of these variables, but again, the overall question, do the Bengals want to be the same style of team, you know, 11 personnel, area out down the field with star receivers going forward? What do you think? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Do they... Do they... Do they carry on conceptually or do they evolve? And, and to be fair, this coaching staff has had to evolve and change halfway through the season. They've been kind of quite good at that the past couple of years. Um, but in terms of heading into the new season, where do you where do you see them going? Because we go back and forth on re-signing T Higgins. Do you tag him? Do you tag and trade him? Do you let him go? What do you, do you do? You try and work out a deal. Is it pumping too much into the skill positions? Should you spread that money around? Uh, does re-signing T give you the best chance of winning in this in this in this window that's still open, or do you kind of? start to semi-rebuild we could go around this in circles mm -hmm. only they know what they want but what 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 do you sense what's your sense of this situation so my overall philosophy is i want the best players on my team and if i'm running the Bengals, what i want is you know t higgins is going to be better than whoever you could bring in as a free agent through door number b but here's the problem it's not just a binary thing keep t higgins or lose t higgins that's not what the Bengals are discussing what this conversation really is, is what is the contract offer you are willing to offer T. Higgins? Because if the Bengals offered him three years for $400 million, T. Higgins has taken that. And of course, that number is not realistic. But you know, the, you know the point I'm trying to make. There's a gray area here. So the question again is, what is the offer you're willing to make? Personally, in my opinion, I'd push for a fourth year to try to keep the band together longer. Four for 80, four for 90, that would be the range I would live in. But once you get around 90 and above 90 and closer to 100, I think that's when there's too much of a, a ripple effect, too many consequences of if you're paying T that much, then you don't have this, this, and this. 
Meanwhile, if T's making $80 million, you won't have this, but you'll have T and something else too. And so, you know, overall, again, it's where that contract lines up, whether or not it's going to be able to be in a, a market value range as opposed to paying over market value, which, hey, T might get on the free agent market whenever he hits it. But that's really the debate that's going on internally. It's really interesting, isn't it? We've got we've got other uh, variables, as I say, other, other moving parts that we could perhaps nail down. You're talking DJ Reader. You were talking Jonah Williams. Um, we're talking Joe Mixon. So let's go through those real quick. Um, I think everyone understands and uh, agrees with the idea. Perhaps letting Tyler go, Tyler Boyd go after uh, you know eight years of fantastic service. Um, uh, what about uh, Joe Mixon? He's again, he can point to the stats. He's had another solid year, over a thousand yards. Uh, and yet, there's you know, for what he's getting paid, is he is he taking up too much of a chunk for what he's worth? I don't know. What's your sense on on Mixon? So let's go back to where we were a year ago with Joe Mixon. Um, at this point last year, I'd say there was like a thirty percent chance that Mixon would have been on the twenty twenty three Bengals. Now, all of those things happened. Free agency went a certain way. You know, Gibbs was off the board in round one. Charbonnet was off the board in round two. Mixon took a pay cut, and then he was in the fold. Heading into next year, obviously, it's different because the guarantee date on Mixon's contract or the roster bonus on his contract comes sooner. But it's a very deep running back class in, uh, in free agency. I haven't looked at the draft yet, but you can imagine that they would fit. Probably, they would be able to find someone who, who's a little bit smoother of a fit with how the offense has evolved. Um, they need someone who can make defenders miss more often. And then I do really think they need someone who's bigger, who offers more as a route runner and is better in pass protection than Joe Mixon. I like Chase Brown as a runner. To complement that, you need someone who offers more as a receiver and more pass protection than Mixon did last year. Now, is there a, a role for Mixon in there as well with maybe a draft pick or a smaller free agent addition? You could talk me into that, a very platoon rotation by committee uh, approach at running back. But when you look at how many just holes there are on the roster – tight end you need cornerback depth you need safety depth you need all these things um and again with it being a deep free agent running back class in the first place that's where i think it gets harder to make sure or to uh, be 100 percent sure that you're keeping mixing in the fold okay so what about uh what about jonah uh we spoke to jay morrison last week who is absolutely convinced that jonah's not going to be on this roster next year do you do you follow that line of thinking yeah, so, you know, we all remember what happened in the, you know, last year. There was, a, a, I don't want to call it beef, but whatever you want to call it with the front office mm. for communication and lack of. And mm. so I asked him at the end of the year, I go, were you able to get over that? You know, you had a nice year. You seem like you, you enjoyed yourself this year. And he goes, man, I just love being with the, the training staff and the support staff and the equipment staff and my teammates. And he basically thanked everyone but the front office. There seems to be a divide between what Jonah views his future looking like and where the front office sees him as a player, maybe the best pass protecting offensive tackle on the market. I think he'll probably prefer to play left tackle if the money's the same. I think the money will be pretty good from one team who really needs the left tackle or at least one team. Uh, so for those reasons, it would seem to me like the Bengals might have to move in a new direction. And of course, his previous offensive coordinator has just taken over uh, a club just down the road that is screaming out for for um, half-decent like offensive offensive linemen. So one to watch there, perhaps. DJ Reader, um, tricky one, really, isn't it? I mean, his injury couldn't come at a worse time. Injuries never come at good times, but that one particularly... Couldn't have come at a worse time for DJ, who's such a good dude, such a good player. Um, I think every every fan you speak to would love to keep him. Um, what's your sense on DJ? Yeah, take the injury out of it. Like, it's funny. Lou Romo said in week 17, he said, like, the Bengals need DJ back next year. And the last time he said that was about Von Bell and Jesse Bates. And boy, was he proven right on that. With the injury, what, he's about to turn 30. He's coming off his second major quad injury. I just don't know, like... I'm just going to make up a random team. What do the Carolina Panthers think of, you know, making that investment for that type of player with that type of injury history? How eager would they jump at that opportunity? Would they be willing to offer multiple years with guarantees? I have no idea. Obviously that wouldn't be the preferred thing probably for any team. Is there a team that would be willing to make that extra jump to make sure you get reader in the building? I don't know. 
you know, just from a pure Bengals perspective, they're kind of in wait and see mode, I guess, because you have to see what the market for reader is overall, because he's obviously probably not getting the four year 53 that he got in the first place. He's in a different tier for agency. Now, DJ said he doesn't know what the market's going to look like with all the questions. The Bengals don't know. So it's probably touch base once he get more information after talking to, to see what the market is. Two position groups that you touched on there, and I'd like to get your opinion on them. First of all, safety didn't, didn't really i mean i we said on this podcast look there is going to be a drop off uh, from Jesse and Vaughn they were so good as a pair as a duo they worked brilliantly well together and they they provided the the real communication and backbone to that defense and once that was gone you know they, we expected a drop off but did we expect such a big drop off perhaps not um do they draft someone? Do they get a? Do they say farewell to Nick Scott? It hasn't really worked out. Do they? Do they go for another kind of veteran free agent? Do you think? So, tight end last year is an interesting thing to discuss when you're looking at the 2024 safety conversation. That so was like, my next position group. That well, was no, but, but, but here's how they tie together: the Bengals wanted a better tight end last year than Irv Smith because of the cap structure, because of what you're paying your quarterback, because of the money you're saving for Jamar. They couldn't get it. You know, you can't do everything. You can't check every box and solve every issue when you're paying your quarterback and when you're getting ready to pay your star receiver, tippity top of the market contracts. So if this were a couple of years ago and the Bengals were a different cap situation, all right, is there a free agent safety in the eight to $12 million range who could be your next Von Bell? I think that's much more of a conversation, but with how much the Bengals have to do the more limited resources, because of, again, what Joe and Jamar make, you know, are they going to find someone and be able to pay someone they like more than Dax and Jordan? They had Dax as a what, like t- 10 to 20 range on their board in the first round. Jordan Battle was the top safety on their board last year. They loved those guys coming out, extremely high evaluations on them. I think it's going to be hard to believe that they can find someone who, who doesn't make much, who they would have higher graded than those two guys. I think if you're swinging for like Super Bowl upside, you know, go with the guys you have and bank on their development. And if you swing and miss, you swing and miss, but at least you swung for the fences there. That's where I'm at. That's also part of why I like having Nick Scott there uh, as well. The, the cap figure isn't crazy. At least have some continuity on the back end. You know, you're losing Cheeto, another veteran leader. Nick Scott has that presence. He can defend the deep half of the field. He played third downs over the last two months of the year. They trust him in that role. You know, three safety looks are or all the trend on third down. So a third safety is basically going to be your sixth man, you know, 12th man, whatever you want to call it. And um, so I think there's value in having him and then just trusting and working and getting the most of the development of uh, Jordan Battle and Dax Hill. Mm. And tight end. I mean, Tanner Hudson played well last year when he was finally introduced, I think. Um, Drew Sample became a really, actually a very important part mm-hmm. of the offense, not just as a tight end, but lining up in the background, uh, backfield almost as an H back stroke fullback, you know, um, um, do they need, I mean, is it, is it a myth? Let me put it this way. Is it a myth that the Bengals um, don't use tight ends, don't value tight ends? Because that, that always seemed to be when Zach came over from the Rams, it was like, ah, oh, you know, he's, they're not that, he's, his scheme isn't all, all that interested in tight ends. You know, it's not a crucial part of the, the offense. And now things have evolved over, obviously over four years of Zach being here. Um, what do you say to the tight end position? Yeah, I think that's a myth. You know, look at, you know, my, my, the most interesting game plan to me was the Chiefs game in week 17 of this year where they were featuring with capital F Tanner Hudson in that game. And, you know, I could have been, you know, if, if that's a better tight end too, then even more. They were dialing up and designing and really creating specific plays for their tight ends to get one on ones in those matchups. And, I'm all, if I'm the Bengals, I'm all for getting someone who you think you can match up well schematically against to beat the Chiefs. That sounds like something you'd be interested in having if you're the Bengals. Um, their type of tight end, I would say they're looking more for guys who create guys who can create separation, guys who are a little on the bigger side, guys who you know can be physical and chip it up in the run game, but also really stretch the field. So not every tight end on the board will be a fit for them. That's why you know they didn't draft a tight end last year, but there were tight ends in last year's class who they loved. So uh, I think that if that lines up, I think maybe even ideally overall philosophically. Maybe a tight end becomes your Tyler Boyd replacement over the middle of the field and your slot receiver basically becomes your fourth pass catching option. 
if I'm drawing it up just on paper, I think I like that idea a lot for how you invest in the 2024 Bengals. Mm, that's interesting. Um, we'll let you go in a second, uh, Charlie. And of course, you can read Charlie's excellent work, both on the Bengals and the Reds. It must be because we're approaching uh, baseball season. You can check him out at, uh, uh, in the Cincinnati Inquirer, the inquiry.com. So um, do check Charlie's uh, excellent writing out. Um, so what do you expect first? Now, I understand, you know, the, tag, the, um, the franchise tag deadline is coming up. I believe, uh, and also Mixon's bonuses. So do you think that T and Mixon will be the first two big things to be sorted out here? Not necessarily because the Bengals have any particular urgency in these matters, but because, you know, league protocol dictates that these things have to be sorted out when they have to be sorted out. Yep, that's the schedule. The only other thing that could happen in that window would be some other sort of extension. I don't expect Jamar to get done really soon. You know, he's talking about Justin Jefferson and having him set the market and all that stuff. They don't have any other extension candidates aside from, you know, T, who we're talking about now. So really, to me, this offseason starts with T. Then, all right, Mixon's next on the calendar, then free agency. Great. Well, uh, who offseason, who says there's an offseason these days? It's, a, it's around the year kind of concern isn't it really charlie i'm so glad we got you on you're full of amazing insight and uh, uh an opinion there thank you so much um no ancient greek uh allegories this time but i'm sure there will be uh, time for that later on down the line thanks for your time charlie and we'll speak to you soon thank you Sentinata. There we go. That was uh, the Cincinnati Inquirer's Charlie Goldsmith at Charlie G double underscore there. Um, two underscores. You don't have to spell out double underscore. But uh, here, fantastic insight from him. He said something really interesting about the tight ends there, Nathan, didn't he? About, you know, if Boyd is going this year, then you really do, or at least one way to replace Boyd's production in that slot and over the middle is getting a really decent tight end and making him the focus of those throws down the seam, uh, across the middle, that kind of thing. Um, and that's a really good point. Really, really good point. And I think that's the thing. It To begin with, we were told, and you know, the evidence showed that Zach Taylor didn't feature tight ends too much, but I think that's changed over the years a little bit. But I think you look at you know people like Laporta say or you know um Kincaid in Buffalo uh, Mark Andrews in Baltimore Kittle Kelsey if you've got a really good tight end then you alter your scheme to make sure you feature that tight end and get the most out of his skill set you know um if you've got average tight ends like we have you don't feature them too much because they're average tight ends, you know. But if you've got some really good players in that position or a really good player, then that's when you really, you know, feature them. Do you know what I mean? I thought Charlie made some really good points there. 100% and bang on. I think if we had a quality tight end out there, the Bengals would find a way to feature him. Joe Burrow would know how to, to look out for him. And I think it'd be a valuable addition to the offense. The other thing on tight ends I always think goes a little bit under the radar is they tend to be bigger guys and they can take a few more shots. And the, what I mean purely on that is that they don't get injured as much as potentially <laughs> wide receivers do or a little bit lot more, you know, slightly probably about 30, 40 pounds, maybe more lighter. You do tend to see, I mean, you look at some of the hits that Travis Kelsey shakes off and the durability that people like Gronkowski had and even Kittle, they're big, big blokes and big targets. And especially down in the red zone, I think that offers you something a bit different as well. So, yeah, I, I think it'd be a very valuable um, addition for us, be it in the draft or, like I said, a veteran that could come in and just be a clear step ahead of what we've got already. Right, let's get to our correspondences. Uh, time is pressing on. Man, Abel Hosen at the Fireman. Uh, hello, man. Good to hear from you, uh, my friend. Need to reinforce the offensive and defensive lines. The lack of physicality was stunning to watch. I see three to four new faces on the DL in 2024. That's a bold statement. Um, Do you know one thing just very quickly on that, son? I apologise. I know we're going on a bit here, mm. but... There's a lot of money wrapped up on that defensive line. Yeah, there is. Yeah. 
Yeah. They might sit there and say, oh, you know, I don't know. You've got Trey Hendrickson on a big contract. You've got Sam Hubbard. They're paying a lot of money too. Um, obviously, you've just invested a first-round pick in Miles Murphy on that line. BJ Hill's got a fairly big contract. His cap number's up there. You know, one of the top 10 players on the team. So whilst they might not have performed as they needed to, there's a lot of money there. And if you talk about getting DJ Reader back as well, I'm certainly not sure that you're going to get three or four new faces. So that, that to me is a bit of a, a bit of a worry there. Like have we over-invested in some of these players on that line? I don't think so, because the last couple of years, I think they've been fantastic. I don't think we've over-invested at all. I think, I think they, they paid, you know, I think they've been value really. I think you can't say Reader hasn't been decent value, even though he's been highly paid. You can't say Trey Hendrickson hasn't been good value because he's been tremendous. Yeah, uh, Bj Hill, I think, has been tremendous as well. Now, the, the the thing that gets me, they're being asked to do a lot of carrying. They're water carrying. They're playing a lot of snaps, or they have played a lot of snaps, and we need to get some decent. Uh, depth and rotation back into that uh, defensive line. We want another Wallace Gilbury. We want another Michael Johnson. We want solid, you know, role-playing characters. Now, Miles Murphy hopefully will develop into something, but Joseph Asai last year did not. Cam yeah. Sample is, you know, a good role player. That's about it. Zach Carter did not um, did not uh, progress last year at all. Um, in fact, he potentially regressed um you know Josh Tupu solid enough but he didn't really do that much when you know uh, I saw Tufeli in there actually more than Josh Tupu towards the end of the year so yeah we we need to we need to pay some attention on that to the uh, offensive line I think Jamie at Trek White Beaster we probably need to cut Mixon and Nick Scott to get money for any signings go after a tight end in free agency Dalton Schultz Noah Fant None taken. Good, good uh, play on words there. Uh, draft beef in the first two rounds. An OT and a DT, please. Well, that's the way I've been going so far in my mocks. An o a offensive tackle and a defensive tackle. And then perhaps another DT later on in the draft as well. Anyway, John Kelly at JKNI Bengal 68. I might be in the minority here, but on a team-friendly deal, I would keep Mixon. Um... He had a decent season and really stepped up when he had basically a rookie quarterback replacing JB9. What's the point in letting him go and paying some other veteran who may not may or may not be as good does a good a job? It's a fair question, I think. And I think I actually think he he, he played better last year when Chase Brown was in the lineup, actually. Um I think he quite enjoyed that one two punch, you know. Um well, I think the Bengals have been guilty of overusing him, like just on his own for years. I mean, if you were to look at a stat uh, in terms of like you know how teams rotate their backs, the Bengals have barely done it. I mean, even when they had some RJP run, it was very few and far between. It was Joe Mixon, he'd get the carries, and that'd be it. And the Bengals don't run the ball massive amounts anyway. They certainly haven't since they've had Joe Burrow. So I don't think there's any value. And there was not odds knocking about about Derek Henry being the second most likely to go to the Bengals. No and chance. I, the Bengals doing anything like that. I don't see the point in going after someone like Saquon Barkley and or anything like that. I think if you're going to get rid of Joe Mixon, you don't invest that money in another veteran. You just simply put it into a rookie and you, you hope for the best. And there's a bit of a risk there, but it certainly well, saved you a few quid. As Charlie said, the free agent running back class this year is pretty deep. So you hope that... I mean, the Bengals have been really good at, 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 at identifying and signing this mid-range free agents you know not, not spectacular people like you know Trey Hendrickson shall we say people like uh, you know Ch Chidobe Uwuzie, you know, um people like that who turn out to be fantastic bargain players um, so you hope they might be able to sort something out there Brian Paris hey Brian Paris um, <laughs> re-sign reader because there is no viable alternative tag T because we know they will sign a decent right tackle at a lower APR than Jonah was this year draft a three tech or stud pass catcher who falls to 18 interesting so he's perhaps thinking a wide receiver at uh, 18 well um, 
super quickly. Does it worry you? Because that line I didn't think was great last year. If you look at the stats around the league, it certainly wasn't. It was better than it's been the last couple of years. But again, it's not a huge upgrade. These got a couple of these older guys getting a bit older, and well, you know, Karras and Kappa, I believe, are coming to. You know, this is their final year, so. But does it worry you that you know you're losing Jonah for a guy that's going to be less per year? So, in, in theory, not necessarily going to be as good the replacement. Does it well, worry you that that line is not perhaps as good as it needs to be? Of course, I think that's a worry for every Bengals fan. And isn't it funny? I'm going to make this point. Every year we seem to be talking about the same positions on the Bengals. That's ridiculous. Isn't it? It's the offensive line. It is uh, not so much the defensive line. It is the tight end. Uh, we seem to be talking about a tight end every year. We seem to be talking about an offensive lineman every year. Um, and this year you can throw into the mix, you know, safety and uh, defensive line. Uh, it's, you know, it's weird that they just don't address these positions. You can tell for a mile off which positions they really value and which and which ones they don't. So um, we've got to wait and see. Sean at Shawnee01. I don't think I can look at who should sign stroke walk without overpaying everyone due to irrational emotionalness. <laughs> Realistically, every squad has a life cycle and fresh blood in should hopefully do wonders. I'm sceptical of Pollack sticking around, but can't help it, I guess. Um, he makes a good point. I think every Bengals fan would, would have loved for Jesse Bates to have stayed. Every Bengals fan really wants T to stay. Every be- well, most Bengals fans would want Mixon to stay, but it's just the th- I view it as a positive. Actually, I'm actually looking forward to the new blood that comes in because, as I said to Charlie, you know, it's a, it's a chance for reinvig- reinvigoration. Easy for me to say. Um, it's a chance for refreshment. It's a chance for new skills. You know what I mean? It's 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 a chance for renewal, and I I kind of like that. Um, Matt Gibbs at Wakey Ram. If you look at who's out of contract now, it feels like this offseason is massive for the team. For me, find a way not to rely on Trey H. More pass rush, please. Uh, linebacker and secondary will surely then be better. Um, despite decisions on T and mixing, fixing D feels the bigger need. I think you might be right, actually, um, uh, Matt. New Big Prince at JCT1888. Tag Higgins. Mixon out. First round offensive line. Second round wide receiver. Higgins eventually eventual replacement. Uh, defensive line in the third and free agency. Resign Reader. One year. Schultz in FA. That's enough to be getting on with. Nice, short, and concise there, Mr. Prince. Leon Cook at Cook Ra. Um, Higgins trade. Mix and trade if we can. Reader, new deal. Jonah stepped up, but he won't be about. The rookies done well this year and showed promise. I'd like to see tight end sorted and let the running backs do their thing now with Chase and a really solid O-line, as in players playing in their bright positions. Okay. Um, Solidan Dell at Camo Craig. <laughs> Double zero seven. Do you know, Stroke? Can you explain the current contract status of Jake Browning? Can we trade him? Would we want to trade him? If so, what would his trade value be, Stroke? Second or third round pick? Oh, blimey! I don't know. I think he's—he's. He's, I think he's a restricted free agent. I think, off the top of my head, I might be completely wrong with that. I don't know. I, he wouldn't be a second or third round. I think he'd be like, something like a fifth, wouldn't he? Something like that. I know he played out of his skin and looked really good, but I think he's a fourth or a fourth at best, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. And I, no teams call him um, and offer him anything more than that for him to be the starter. He, I thought he played all right when he did, and he stepped up and um, he did a good job for us. He's in the nice way possible. He's about I think he's about twenty eight, twenty nine as well. So it's not like he's twenty three, four. He's you know he's a second round pick or something. He, I just don't think teams are going to say that this guy is for sure going to lead us to the Super Bowl. He's going to be the future of our franchise. Let's go and give up a decent round pick for him. It's, it's, it was too short of a a window. I think it was what, what six, eight weeks max. And there was a couple of games in there that he didn't play that well. I think what he's done is solidify his career as a an NFL backup. You know, there's an absolute guarantee that he'll be our backup next year. 
um, unless anything silly happens. And I think a lot of teams around the league, if we got rid of him, would certainly look at him and want to pay him to be their backup. So for him, I think he's done a fantastic job and it gives us confidence if we need to use him next year, which I really hope we don't have to. Indeed. Uh, so uh, he is an exclusive rights free agent and the definition of that um, an exclusive rights free agent is a player with just two or fewer accrued seasons and an expired contract. This is in contrast to a restricted free agent, three accrued seasons, or an unrestricted free agent, four or more accrued seasons. Uh, to accrue a season, a player must have been on a team's roster for six or more regular season games during that year. However, the player does not need to be active for games. Players on a blah, 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 blah. However, uh, uh, let's have a look. Oh, well, that's the end of the description. So I don't know whether you can. So he's uh, he's one of them, basically. Um, Alex Costa at Alex Costa 93 Tag Higgins, let Mixon see out his final year. Get Reader on a two-year deal. Let Jonah walk. Let Tyler Boyd walk. Get a new punter. Draft an OT, a DT and a TE in the first three rounds in whatever order you fancy. And let Dan Pitcher cook on that fourth place schedule. There we go. All positive stuff. Um, Smash Adams at Golden State Boy. Uh, I want to see my team protect and block for Joe Burrow. Um, again, we're going back to that thing. It's the offensive line again, isn't it? Um, you look how well the Lions have been doing that all season for Jared Goff as well. And yeah. Jared Goff, I think, behind a poor um, the offensive line would not look like a top half quarterback, but they've really done a good job with him. Obviously, Panay saw um, doing a lot of that, but yeah, it does show that if you can keep a guy upright and then you've got some weapons as well, it's going to be a big, a big benefit. And if you can run the ball like the Lions have shown they can again with that offensive line, so the line still worries me. And we were a bit lucky, I think, this year to keep most of them healthy. You know, another year on the clock. You know, losing Jonah, it, it really does does make me nervous. Some. Well, there we go. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff on our blog. Uh, mock draft season's coming up, and Andrew Dockerell is priming and stretching and ready to go. Um, he's currently uh, regraded the 2023 draft for us. Uh, he's got a regrade of the 2020 draft coming this week. So do check his work out on bengalsuk.wordpress.com. Um, and that's about it for now. Huge thanks to uh, Charlie Goldsmith from the Inquirer for joining us. Really enjoyed Charlie's uh, debut on Cincinnati. And thank you so much for listening. We'll, yeah, I think we might try and make it back for next week. Um, so until then, it's a who day from me. And a who day from me. Cheers, guys. And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.